0: It was like this perfect job at its perfect office with these amazing colleagues. Everything about it was wonderful. But I, I was just going to bed every night feeling so creatively unfulfilled. So I thought about it seriously for, yeah, about six months. And during that time, I probably battled six months of anxiety, <laughs> of self-doubt of questioning whether I could afford to live. Everyone has insecurities and everyone has self-doubt and everyone has weaknesses. Mm. And it's very easy to let those things consume you. But when you're surrounded by amazing people who see the best in you and see the positive in you, sometimes you just need them to kind of give you a good shake and you know, make you realise that, Things aren't that bad and yeah. that things are gonna be okay. <laughs> I think we need more female leaders in the industry and in, in Australia in general, mm. who show that you can be you can be soft and kind, but you can also be a really strong leader at the same time. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast
1: I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. CCA is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you all so much for the wonderful response to Nick's episode last week. As I mentioned a few times, it was a first for him. So it's been lovely to see your feedback and he's just been absolutely blown away. I'm also so excited to still be in the top 10 for the Australian Podcast Awards. So to everyone who has already voted, I cannot say how grateful I am for you taking the time. I know it's not the simplest process, unfortunately, but I really do appreciate it so much. And if you are enjoying the show and haven't Voted yet? I'd be so grateful if you'd spare a moment to vote as there are still three weeks to go and I would love to stay up there. So I'll pop a link in the show notes for you to vote if you're interested. As for today's guest, I flew to Sydney last week to chat with one of the most tenacious, well rounded, and motivating young women, Eleanor Pendleton, and we got along like a house on fire. Eleanor is the founder of Australia's first dedicated online beauty magazine, Gritty Pretty, known for its pioneering beauty without the bullshit coverage of the industry. I love her story so much, not least because unlike most of us who still don't really know where we're heading, Eleanor has always known she wanted to end up in magazines and beauty and wasted absolutely no time getting there. She entered the workforce at 19 years old, having landed a job at Cosmopolitan halfway through her qualification under Sarah Wilson and under the mentorship of Zoe Foster-Blake. She then became the youngest beauty editor Australia has seen for Famous Magazine when she was just 20 and then moved on to the more global InStyle magazine where she found her dream job. But her insatiable thirst for growth and challenge soon had her itching for more, so she resigned and revived her old blog, Gritty Pretty, which is now four years into an incredibly successful journey. I'm so excited to share our wonderful chat from the beautiful freshwater on the northern beaches. Thank you so much for having me in your beautiful home. Thank you for coming over. Such a treat on a Friday morning. It's very Gritty Pretty-esque. It's beautiful. It's stunning. I'm like, I just walked into Vogue Living.
0: Oh, gosh. I don't know about that, but it is nice. Nice little sanctuary.
1: Oh, it's been so lovely. It's, we're up in Freshwater, which is in the northern beaches of Sydney, and I was freaking out so much about actually crossing the bridge. I was like, how am I going to get there? But it's so beautiful. It's, it's actually so, really so easy. so, special.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people think the northern beaches are really, really far from Sydney, but Manly's only actually 13 kilometres from yeah. the city. It's just, I think, crossing that bridge makes it feel a little bit further but we really like it because it feels like you're a bit disconnected from the city life
1: and that beach we we just picked up coffees before we came back and the surfers were out it was just beautiful yeah my my husband's out there at the moment (laughs) (laughs) Hi, (laughs) all right so I love to start with asking everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them because I think social media and the digital world can create a really glossy surface which is Mm -hmm. of course natural to put your best foot forward but Mm -hmm. I also love to show the really relate person behind, mm. the, behind the persona. So what is something super down to earth
0: about you? Oh, well, I'm just looking at my Havianas at the front door. So <laughs> <laughs> it's my thongs. Um, yeah, gosh, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just all the, the things that make you human, all the things that happen behind closed doors, you know, like putting on your track pants and watching netflix and and chilling out and going to the beach or that side of me is the real side i think and and everyone has that it's just you're probably not likely to Put that on Instagram. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'm so glad to hear you wear track pants.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, who does that around the like, house? I know. I'm yeah. like, no, I think, uh, yeah, everyone's got to be really comfortable. And yeah, that, that side is definitely a big part of my life. It's the part that I also really enjoy. And I actually like to keep it private because it feels like that's for me. You know, that time yeah. that you get on a Friday night, we can just Netflix and chill. That's my me time. So yeah. that's why it's not documented. Not because it's not orchestrated.
1: Yeah, I actually really like that because I think people feel an increasing pressure now to be real. Like there's a real movement towards that, which is awesome. Mm, mm. But then there are some- I've noticed that as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a positive thing overall. But I do think for some people, it's like you're an editor mm. of a huge, beautiful online magazine, an online platform that's- it's curated, it's meant to be super stylish and glamorous. Mm. And the parts that are you in your truckies, like that's not on brand. Mm. And you don't also feel like getting your phone out in those moments. So you don't
0: have to show that. I think it's more that like I try and retain some balance where my whole life isn't documented. Obviously, when you do have a social media following, you're aware of the responsibility that comes with that and the amount of eyeballs that are watching, you know, your every move and what you put out into the world. And for me, it's about making sure i keep a little bit to myself mm. you know like I'm, i am a very open person and that comes naturally but when i'm having breakfast with my sister-in-law and my niece i don't want to share that mm. with my following because that's my family time yeah and i want to be present in that time so that's the reason why i don't share that because i i'm just enjoying the moment i love that yeah. so much Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's not too much thought behind it. It's just, that's just the way I've kind of balanced it. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I think everyone does need to find a balance they're comfortable with, and it's obviously going to look different yeah. for everyone. So I know that you have had an incredible journey and hit a lot of amazing, amazing milestones in the, the world of magazines and the world of publications very early on. But I want to go even further back. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> and hear about young Eleanor. Mm. So were you cool at
0: school? Did you have an awkward teenage phase? Ah, uh, I. Oh God, I definitely had that awkward teenage phase. I also went through (laughs) that, that slightly emo phase that I think everyone did, did. but everyone got that horrible kind of mullet haircut where it was razored. Oh, I definitely had that.
1: Oh wow. I need Um, photos of that later. (laughs) They've
0: been burnt. Um, (laughs) But was I cool? I went to an all girls uh, Catholic high school and we didn't actually really have a popular group and a less popular group. That's, that's something I, yeah that's something that's I really liked about my grade at school. And everyone was very much equal and everyone very much got along. So there wasn't really much of that kind of hierarchy. I just kind of was happy just being friends with everyone yeah yeah but I was definitely towards my later years certainly in year 11 and 12 once I started thinking about what I wanted to do with my life which I knew by year 12 really really confidently what I had to do I then became I would say like a textbook nerd and I was studying as hard as I could and making sure I was gonna get a really good HSC score so yeah side definitely came out of me as well <laughs> <laughs> and you're half Filipino yes. half Australian yes. is that yes. right yes very proud to be oh yeah. cool do you yeah. go back and Oh, I do. Well, I got married there last year. So that was the last time I was back. And I really want to go back again with my husband. We want to go back to Siargao. It's an amazing surfing spot over oh, there. Wow. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to go back and see family. I love the Philippines. It's amazing. Do it's you so speak Filipino? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can understand it. And oh, I can, really? Yeah, I can understand what my mum's talking about. But I never learnt fluently, unfortunately, because we spoke English at home and my yeah, mum and dad spoke English. English. They yeah. speak to Um Does your dad speak? He's Australian, so he doesn't. He'd speak never learned it. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So because of that, I was kind of growing up in an English-speaking household, so I never learned. And I do remember my mum saying to me at around age, you know, five or seven, like you should learn. But I almost think it was too late at that point. Yeah. I couldn't You're not spongy. An, yeah. I <laughs> learn a new language. So. Unfortunately, no, which I, I so wish I did because um, the Filipino language, which is called Tagalog, has a lot of Spanish influence. Yeah, it does. There's a lot of crossover with the Spanish co- um, language. So I wish I learned because that would have been
1: handy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you grew up on the central coast of New South Wales mm-hmm. and your dad owned a news agency, yes. which is where we kick off. This segment is called WayTA, so how you got to where you are now. Okay. And so... It was in the news agency that your obsession with magazines Mm. and publication sort of came about. Obsessed. Yeah, and so that was quite young. It was like nine or ten, I think. Yeah, I I think,
0: yeah, my dad bought the news agency around, yeah, when I was about eight years old or nine years old. And so my earliest memories are going home from primary school um, and I would catch the bus and my sister and I would get off at the nearest bus stop closest to the shop and we would go there and we would wait until he would finish work and close it up. And I just got to sit out the back and get as many magazines as I wanted, as many lollies wow. as I wanted it's um, like a kid's dream it was amazing <laughs> as much stationary as I wanted oh I'm um, still a
1: stationary freak
0: love so bought, I got all the, you know, the coloured pens and I just used to sit at the back and paw over the pages. And I used to, at that age, you know, you're in love with mags like Total Girl and Dolly and Girlfriend. And I also really loved Waves magazine because I was obsessed with this idea of being a surfer. <laughs> um, and I just, I don't know, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with like, the glossiness of the pages and... But then when I would see a profile on, say, a journalist who had written a piece, I was so intrigued by that person. Yeah. And reading the editor's letter, I was just like enamoured by that person. So wow. So I think that's where I fell in love with mags. And so that was,
1: that started to develop. And then by year 11 and 12, that's when you knew that you yeah. wanted to get into
0: journalism? Yeah. I was like, there's no other question. There's nothing else I can study after high school. I have to go to university and I have to study journalism because I have to work in magazines. So there yeah. was like... I was very, um, I think ballsy is probably a good word because, <laughs> and also naive because there just wasn't another option for me. I didn't yeah. think, what if I don't get the grades or what if I don't get the internship or what if I don't get the job? It was never in, that thought never entered my brain. You were just like, I'm it was doing like, it. This is what I'm doing and I have <laughs> to do X, Y, Z to get, to get to where I want to be.
1: I absolutely love yeah, that. So I it's think, very, very tenacious. It's so great because I think so many people are like, oh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I just kind of fell in it. So I love hearing stories when people are like, I knew – I was nine, yeah. and I was like magazines, and then I was like journalism, and then yeah. you just did it. It's it's awesome that you had such direction. And I know that's very
0: rare. Like yeah. my, you know, my sister was the opposite to me. She didn't know what she wanted to do for a very long period of time, and I think for the most part, that and that's absolutely fine as well. If if you're still figuring that out well into you, into your life, but I, I can't really explain it because it was just a part of me, and I it just had like that gut feeling from a very very young age yeah yeah, it's very hard to put into words and
1: so you were accepted into two universities Mm -hmm. Sydney Uni and QUT Mm -hmm. in Brizzy Mm -hmm. but actually ended up being so tenacious that you didn't want to spend three or four years studying so you ended up finding somewhere you could do a two-year degree Mm -hmm. and finished in two years yeah
0: so maybe I was just really <laughs> cocky. I don't know. Yeah. No, or just um, ambitious. That's, yeah. that's
1: incredible. It was Maclay College? Yeah, right.
0: so I, I chose to go to Maclay College in Sydney. It was a private college. They're still teaching students today. And what attracted me to studying there was that the lecturers were industry professionals who mm-hmm. were working. So, you know, I had a television journalism uh, lecturer who was working in Channel 7 and I had a newspaper uh, lecturer who was working for Fairfax. And that really appealed to me. I think just getting that practical experience and learning from people who were in the business Mm. as part of the course I had to do I think it was something like 150 hours of work experience to graduate that's awesome which obviously a lot of universities don't have as a prerequisite and I actually saw that pattern happen a lot a lot of uni grads would finish and they had done no work experience and it's very hard to get hired Mm. um you know if you haven't done that work So that definitely attracted me to it. And then I had to convince my parents that I wanted to do that. (laughs) Um, And my mum and my dad, especially my mum, was very much in favour of me going to a university. They didn't really see... The difference between the co- a private college and a university and I think you know they had worked so hard to put me through an amazing school mm. and they just really wanted me to go to uni so I had to convince them that this was the right path for me I was going to get a job faster and I could do a degree through this private college so I could do within two years a bachelor in um, bachelor of arts majoring in media and then a diploma in journalism on top oh, so you still come out with the same you still can yeah but oh. I didn't because I didn't finish oh <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) so I'm like a not even a uni dropout I'm like a college dropout. (laughs) did you not finish no I didn't finish so I got offered a job after my first year so I got halfway um and then that was kind of it and you didn't even need
1: to oh my gosh there you go what a high achiever
0: yeah so but I I have just kind of did my research and thought what do I need to do to get to working in a magazine as fast as possible Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to go to uni for four years especially just,
1: when you already i think people use uni as a way to figure out what they like and yeah. who they are and where they want to end up and i certainly used 7 years of a law degree figuring yeah, out wow. that i didn't want to do law yeah yeah <laughs> but if i'd known what i wanted to do i wouldn't have wanted to waste mm. that time mm. and so yeah. you that's
0: that's why you came out so young Correct. So I went into the workforce at 19 years of age wow. because of that. So I was offered a job. I was interning during my first year, which was my diploma in journalism, interning the whole time at Cosmopolitan magazine with Zoe Foster and got offered a job at the very end w- during the holidays. So I was meant to obviously start my BA the next year. Uh, yeah. And then I got this phone call and um, I still remember it. It feels like yesterday I remember exactly where I was when I got the phone call. I remember being offered the salary which is 100% illegal (laughs) yeah (laughs) absolutely illegal I think I was offered a salary of like 19,700 a year wow yeah Yeah. I was like I don't care I'll do it I'll do it I'll do it for free um so I was so excited and yeah then I had to make that decision do I defer um, my final year of, of study or do I yeah take this job and at the end of the day i wanted that job more than anything so i took it and then never finished that's
1: amazing oh wow (laughs) that is an even cooler story for the fact that you just always knew what the goal was and just got there at like 19.
0: Funnily enough it bothered me that I didn't finish um, the course in the first few years. It it kind of weighed on my mind and Mm. I I thought about going back and finishing it but in the end I think work experience is worth so much more than a piece of paper. And it's interesting that you
1: say that because I think people do get really hung up on needing a qualification for the sake of it Mm. and of course it's always useful to have Mm. but if you don't need it and you're already in a position where you know what you want to do and you can go after it and you've been offered that then Mm. it's
0: it's It's silly yeah Yeah. it really
1: is um but I think this story will give a lot of people courage to know that it's not there's only there's not only one way to get somewhere
0: absolutely not yeah there's so many different avenues you can take and I kind of lined up three different avenues and I chose the one that I thought would be the best and most efficient and was it Sarah Wilson who recruited you, so Sarah Wilson gave me my first internship. Okay, I still remember that conversation? Being <laughs> so scared to walk into her office. So she gave me my first internship, and then Frankie Hobson, who was the editor in chief of all of Cosmopolitan's sister titles. Oh, so right, okay. at the time, that was Cosmo Hair and Beauty Magazine, Cosmo Bride, and Cosmo Pregnancy Magazine. She gave me my first job. Wow. Yeah, and then you worked under Zoe Foster Blake. So, so yeah, Zoe was my mentor as an intern. Um, she was amazing. She she, she's kind of the person who i guess she opened my eyes up to the fact that journalism and and the written word can be part of an industry such as beauty but that it can also entail creativity yeah so you can be really creative with your words you can be really creative with your tone and it can integrate things like science but also trends and color and and you know fun things but then there's also a really yeah like i said there's there's a science side there's often a side that involves interviewing all these experts. And I didn't realise that that existed until I started interning. I just kind of thought, I want to work in a magazine. I know I'm good at writing. I know I'm good at English. um, So I'm probably just going to become like a a features writer. I didn't know that there was this job that was called a beauty editor. I had no idea.
1: And then you ended up as, I think, the youngest beauty editor like ever,
0: yeah. yeah at crazy. twenty, I know I can't believe um, <laughs> I can't believe Jared Roberts hired me. So that was for what was famous? he thinking? Was that famous magazine? Yeah. Um, well, yeah.
1: obviously he did the, the
0: right thing. <laughs> You've had such I a lot his career. career. <laughs> Thank you for hiring me. No. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate that he saw something in me at a very young age, and he gave me so much creative freedom when I worked at Famous Magazine. I was twenty years old, and I think he he did definitely take a, a chance on me, you mm. know, to hire someone so young but he could see how passionate and hard-working I was and he just gave me so much responsibility he said these are your eight pages every week you need to fill them oh my goodness and that was an amazing learning experience he was one of the best editors I've ever had and as a man as a manager and as a mentor what I learned most from Jared. He's now the CEO of Pacific Magazines. Um, oh, wow. So he's, yeah. and am- handy to have in your, <laughs>
1: your Rolodex.
0: <Yeah. laughs> an amazing man. But what he taught me most was um, how to treat your team. Yeah. he was one of the few editors who would call our team together you know after we had been working so hard um, to file these pages and send them to print and he, you know on a Friday he would call everyone together and just tell everyone what an amazing job they've done mm-hmm. or he'd come down and say to me you know the publisher Nick Chan read this article of yours and he loved it oh, and he was lovely. the only manager who actually gave that kind of Um, public praise and recognition. Mm. So I'm very grateful to him for that experience because he he taught me, I think, the kind of manager I wanted to be. Oh, that's so lovely. And so as a beauty editor, you literally – just curate exactly well I edit the whole, yeah that's so you know as an editor your job is to edit the market yeah you are presented with new products new launches anything that is launching onto a market in that particular sector and it's your job as the editor to filter that down and to ensure what you're presenting to the reader is on not only on brand mm-hmm. for that publication or that title but it's something that the reader wants to know about mm-hmm. so you do have to often remove your bias you know even <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) even if there's a product when you particularly when you're you're working for a publication even if there's a product where you might not necessarily love it but your reader might be a different kind of woman maybe she's older or younger than you and if she's going to be interested in it you need to put aside all prejudice and and write and investigate about that particular product so that is how I view um, my job I guess so cool yeah yeah it's amazing I mean I get you know get paid to play with Lipsticks and and yeah. <laughs> paint my nails at my desk and call that natural part of my job. So Such a dream pretty, job. pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm very lucky.
1: And then you moved on to InStyle. Is yes, that right? Correct. In yep. the same beauty editor role.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I switched over to InStyle um, within the same publishing company, which is Pacific Magazines. And I just want, really wanted to work for a, for a glossy monthly title. Mm-hmm. I kind of done my years at Famous, which was a weekly. And as you can imagine, my only days off were Saturday and Sunday. If that. If that. <laughs> so um, it's a very, you know, working on a weekly is a very, very fast pace. And I think you can only do it for so many years because burnout is inevitable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to work on a monthly because that would be a slightly slower pace. But I also really loved the idea of working for a masthead that was published internationally. Yeah. So for me, when I landed that job at in style at that point, that was, you know, dream job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what do you
1: think was from from the outside and probably looking back it seems like it was a really smooth pathway, but it's a cutthroat industry that's extremely competitive. Mm. And particularly being so young, you know, you have a lot of a lot going against you by the fact that people would think, "Oh, she hasn't got that much experience." Mm. Mm. What did you do to make yourself stand out? Like how did you get in front of people to get these opportunities? Cuz when you say landed, you yeah. don't just mean it landed on your desk. Like no. you would have, you know, to anyone out there who's an aspiring journalist or editor what is it based on your relationships is Mm. it purely performance is it networking like what is it that makes you stand out
0: i think it's a combination of both the industry is incredibly small you know to your point say for example and this is something i had to explain to my parents (laughs) um you know say there's 30 magazines in in australia or 30 women's lifestyle magazines that's 30 beauty editor jobs in the country that's it yeah so you're vying for a job that you know, another 29 people are filling and then that is it within this country. That's and there are right. hundreds never of, like of people who want that job.
1: Or more, yeah. Or more.
0: So it's incredibly competitive and cutthroat, yes. I th- think your reputation is everything and your reputation will always precede you. Um, The way you treat people, the way you behave, the way you uh, liaise, your email etiquette, um, your relationships, all of that is a reflection of you. And I think that is something I was very much aware of, Mm. you know, putting my best foot forward and and being my most professional self is something I've always, I guess, just abided by in, in life. But it's funny because during those years, I used to lie about my age. <laughs> so I used to say I was older. Yeah, just but,
1: to get people to kind of take
0: you seriously. But yeah, to get people to respect me or to take me seriously because I definitely felt that if people knew how just how young I was, um, I think I'm trying to remember how old I was when I went to Insta or maybe like I must have been maybe 23, 24. So it's a, that's young, mm. you know, to be working in a, in a corporate office with 35 other women who are mostly in their 30s to 40s I definitely felt that pressure and I feel a bit embarrassed by that because I you know I've I'm one of those people who always feels that age is it's it's just a number and I and I have always been I think very much an old soul all my friends say (laughs) that I'm like the oldest one amongst them, even though I'm actually the youngest. <laughs> How um, are you now? I'm thirty.
1: Oh yeah. What is that match? Yeah.
0: Um but my friends are all older, so most yeah. of my friends are mid to late thirties. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I just I, I kinda used to lie about it because I thought i want these people to respect me and to take me seriously and then as i would finally get older i was like okay, i don't need to lie yeah. about it anymore <laughs> so they're like she's been 26 for four yes, years yes, yes. <laughs> um yeah exactly i think i definitely lied about my 21st birthday because i remember i was at famous and i did not want anyone to know i was turning 21 <laughs> My God, at that point in time, I was like, I don't want them to think I'm that young. But, you know, you kind of do what you do just, I think, to... To get through. To get through, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And just working hard at the same time. That's all you can do to get noticed. Yeah. (laughs)
1: So, I, I feel like we all think that magazine life is incredibly glamorous and fancy, which I'm sure. And
0: it can be. I'm sure yep. it is at times. I, I never lie about that. It definitely is.
1: So, can you tell us some of the most glamorous parts? And then, mm. by contrast, some of the least glamorous parts, mm. that, like dishing up the dirt that we wouldn't expect from the outside? Mm. Okay, well... I imagine lots of parties and fashion and launches. Yes, there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of
0: launches. Launches become a daily part of your day. So you'll attend about two launches a day. Really? Yeah, at least. Wow. There's that many products launching onto the market. Oh, um, how do you get time to do your work. Exactly. (laughs) So the other side is that you spend so much um, time of your business hours, your office hours, attending these events, which you have to be facing uh, and representing the publication that you're working for. So your writing happens at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) because you've spent the entire day networking, working on client relationships, dealing with advertisers, Mm. and you've lost six to seven hours of the day, including all the travel time. So you get home at night and you just write. I imagine that's your
1: most coherent
0: time of day, 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not anymore. It used to be. I'm so not a night owl. I'm so much better in the morning now. But that that's definitely one side. I mean, in my career, I've been so, so, so lucky. I have done the craziest things for my job. I have, I've been to... Lots of travel. So much travel. Yep. So, so, so like more now than ever, now that I run my own business. But I have been to Paris, to New York, to London, I've sat at a Chanel show, Um, (gasps) I've been in hot air balloons, I've literally been all over the world. Been on set of photo shoots with major celebrities. Been in celebrities' homes to interview them. So that's definitely one side. And then the other side is, yeah, obviously waking up at at two o'clock, or you've got an interview at four because you're interviewing someone over in the US. So you've got to wake up at four a.m. to do <laughs> oh the interview. And then there's a lot of like packing, unpacking boxes <laughs> is a huge part of my job. I just have like a pair of scissors constantly on my desk because you're just constantly unpacking and packing. Yeah. So that's probably the least glamorous side. But I don't like to focus on. Negative negatives, I'd happily take those any day because I'm very lucky to have my job.
1: And sometimes they're not even negatives. Like I find sometimes the most manual work, Mm. like every now and then randomly something will happen and we'll have something urgent and we'll have to stick all the stickers on ourselves or, you know, and it sounds like, I call it the unglamorous side, but sometimes I'm like, oh, manual labor. It's, absolutely. it's so relaxing. It's so true. I mean, we had
0: to do like 450 gift bags for our last event in um, November, and I found it like really, really fulfilling. Yeah. So, it's so productive, but yeah, you don't have very to use your productive. Brain. Very productive.
1: So that all really does sound like a dream job. But I do know that you're a fellow job leaver. Mm. So tell us what sparked that and what what was your light bulb moment for Gritty Pretty and making that shift from a dream job and then walking Mm. away from it all?
0: I think, uh, I don't know, I think I'm just one of those people that gets itchy feet if I'm not, you know, if I'm, if I'm not being pushed creatively and I'm not being challenged in some way, I just get really itchy feet. Mm -hmm. And that started to happen for me after about three and a half years uh, working at InStyle magazine, that feeling started to set in. So I started thinking seriously for about six months about resigning from my job to go freelance, to write for other publications because I just wanted to write in another tone. I wasn't challenged writing in the same kind of voice every day. And I wanted to write with more personality and more wit and more humor. Mm. But I couldn't do that with the brand I was working for. So I thought about it seriously for, yeah, about six months. And during that time, I probably battled six months of anxiety, mm. of self-doubt, of questioning whether I could afford to live I think I'm one, of the, I'm one of those people that I think is split right down the middle in terms of practicality and creativity. Mm. So my practical um, mind came in. I was you know, like, how am I going to pay my rent? <laughs> <laughs> yes. How am I going to buy groceries? How do I pay my electricity bill? Um, all of those thoughts came into my mind over that six month period. And then eventually my, uh, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he, he had watched me, I think, just lose my spark over that time and he's a very very practical he's a project manager so he's like risk assessment of everything in life. Yeah. And he you know originally would have said no don't leave your job that's security. And then he watched me for so long that he realized you can't live your life like that. So he actually took me aside one night and said to me, I think it's about time you start believing in yourself. Wow. And I think it's about time you quit your job. What a great support. Which was so amazing and yeah. I needed someone else to say that to me before i would have the balls to walk into my boss's office and quit my perfect job yeah because it was (laughs) it was like this perfect job at its perfect office with these amazing colleagues everything about it was wonderful but i couldn't I was just going to bed every night feeling so creatively unfulfilled and I'd wake up in the morning and and feel that same feeling of okay I've got to write that same story mm. again. Mm. That takes so much balls because it's
1: one thing you know you hear a lot of job leaving stories where mm. it's like I was so unhappy and mm. I just woke up and had this rock bottom moment mm. but when you're having not rock bottom moments and it's it's a mm. great thing Yeah, that's true. That's almost harder because it's it's not a no brainer.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So eventually, I guess I, I got the courage. I have this trip um, coming up to Bali. I um, had a wedding over there, and I had three weeks leave, and it was kind of looming. And I just thought to myself, I kind of almost created this um, subconscious deadline. That trip became my deadline, mm-hmm. and I just thought either I go on this trip, and I think about how much I. Ha- hate my work over that over that three weeks and then I go back to my job and potentially resign serve out my notice period or I do it beforehand and I have this the first time in my adult life where I have three weeks where nothing is weighing on my mind yeah and that's what I chose to do it was completely terrifying (laughs) and I think has to come down a little bit to naivety and being young because I was only 25 when I quit and I certainly like now if anyone asks me that they want to quit their job I might like, maybe just save some money yeah <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't do that um I was relying I think on my annual leave payout just to get me by which I I'm now I would never do that. <laughs> I'm all about financial independence and security, but um, at the time, I think I was just so unhappy, and you were just ready to take the jump. Yeah, mm. and so yeah, I started freelancing immediately because obviously I'm not going to sit there and twiddle my thumbs. so I started pitching stories to all of my contacts within the industry, both locally and overseas, and I started working right away. I was inundated with work and different types of work. I was writing for Harper's Bazaar. I was writing for Men's Health. So I got to write about men's grooming. I was writing for Body and Soul and Sydney Morning Herald. So it was all so different and I loved it. Um, But at that time, obviously, since I had left in I thought, well, Gritty Pretty has been sitting dormant the entire time I was at InStyle. Because so that was a blog,
1: wasn't it, first? Correct. That you started yeah. in
0: 2010? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I couldn't edit it when I was at InStyle. It was considered a conflict of interest. so it sat- Oh, you couldn't do it at
1: all? No. Okay, so literally it was yeah, it nothing? Just literally
0: just shut sat down there. for yeah. the full three and a bit years. So yeah, when I did quit my job and went freelance, I thought, okay, well, I'll start it again because now I can start putting my personality back into my writing. Yeah, I can, you know, have that really short, sharp wit and, um, you know, it make it a bit more conversational and not so dry, not so boring. Mm. Um, so I started that again whilst I was freelancing. And after about four months of freelancing, I started seeing... The brands that I had existing relationships with show interest in Gritty Pretty, and the readers they just followed you, yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of when I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna keep freelancing. I'm gonna put all my money that I earn back into Gritty Pretty. I'm gonna get the site redesigned, which is, you know, it's not cheap to do. So I think I saved at that time maybe five thousand dollars to get the site completely redesigned. That's when I created the online magazine. Yeah. And that's when I kind of thought, okay. This is my jam. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was that now? Uh, So the magazine, so that was four years ago. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. you. And now it's massive. I mean, look, we're getting there. I think you'd be the same. It's very hard to keep, um, I guess, a a firm idea of your reality because you're so consumed in your business and you're constantly thinking about the next thing it's very hard to kind of look at it and go objectively (laughs) yeah and i don't i don't know if i'll ever feel gritty pretty is at where i know it can be at yeah um you know it has so much potential and there's so much we could be doing But that just takes time, that takes resources, that takes finances. But yes, I am very, very proud of where the business is now and also of my team because I have the most beautiful team. How many people are in your team? You have an office in, in the city? In Rosebury, yeah. Right, okay. I'm in South Sydney, so I have six girls in my team.
1: Wow, that's amazing. They're amazing. That's
0: so cool. Yeah, I think they are, I mean, they just we're just like a little family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, I mean, you
1: have an incredible readership now. You were the first real dedicated beauty online magazine mm-hmm. in the online space, which mm-hmm. was really pioneering at the time. So many highlights. You've had like Lara Worthington, Jess Hart, Bambi, Phoebe Tonkin, um, Shanina Shake, Victoria's Secret Angels on, on the cover and Zoe Foster Blake was mm-hmm. on the recent one. Yes. And like huge advertising partnerships with Chanel, Balmain, like it's just life goals um (laughs) what are some of the highlight moments along the way so far um and obviously one of them is just doing the work for yourself mm. instead of doing that work for someone else but. yeah
0: um definitely early on landing the very first advertiser so I had no one in my team it was like me in my sunroom. room so I was going out to these ad agencies and trying to show them what this online magazine was going to look like because I was in the middle of building it and having it all coded and designed so I would walk into these huge meetings of boardrooms <laughs> um so of, of, yeah boardrooms full of people and I would say well, hi I've you know I'm a beauty editor and I've created this online magazine. I really love you to buy an ad, essentially. And I booked one advertiser for the first issue and that was Balmain fragrances. And I will never forget that feeling of landing that first one. That was such an amazing um, feeling because obviously they just taken such a, um, they'd just taken such a, uh, I guess, a leap of faith And they trusted that this publication was going to be beautiful. It was going to be on brand and it was going to service the Australian woman. So that was a big moment for me. I remember I was in an Uber driving through Malibu on my way to Miranda Kerr's house (laughs) As you do. even just saying that sentence <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and that was for the cover um I think it was our autumn 2015 issue um she was on the cover of that so we flew over to LA it was our very first overseas international cover shoot never shot a cover or any shoot overseas before <laughs> so just the you know coordinating the logistics of that um and then actually getting there I think when, when I was in the Uber on the way it, I was there with my creative director Morgan, and we were just in awe. Like, what is happening? How do we get here? (laughs) Yeah, this happen. Um, So that was a huge moment. And then I think as well, just the masterclass events that we've been able to host for our readers. We've been able to um, create those in partnerships with brands like Estee Lauder and Chanel, and and having brands, you know, prestige brands like that again trust us and see the value in Gritty Pretty but also how deeply connected our audience is and trust yeah. us and trust our team of beauty editors that is something that I've never um, underestimated so I think they're probably my my biggest highlights Wow.
1: yeah and now that you are not just doing it yourself and not just trolling around by mm-hmm. yourself to board meetings having a team like what's your day-to-day now?
0: So my job now, I think like a lot of startup business owners, once the business starts to expand, is that your job starts to become more about managing people. Rather so than the
1: actual, yeah.
0: Than the actual ins and outs of the work. You know, when I started, I was the sales executive. I was the editorial coordinator. I was the beauty editor, the editor, the fashion assistant. I was everything. <laughs> the post guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The career man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had every single hat. Whereas now, because we obviously have um, a small team, my job has become more about managing them. Yeah. Which I, I really enjoy. I do miss the writing side, but I think... As the business has grown, what I really love is is working on that idea of how to grow the business and having more of an aerial view. How can we expand? How can we touch more women? How can we connect with more women? Mm. Um, And thinking more like that than rather... You know,
1: more on the business than in it. Correct. Yeah. And how did you come up with the name? Um, It's such a good one because I always say, tell us more about the nitty gritty. But I was like, today (laughs) I'm going to say, tell us more about the gritty pretty.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Good one. Um, I well when I decided to create the blog it was obviously going to be about beauty because that's my passion I just wanted a place to write about beauty and I just was writing down words on a pad of paper and writing all the words that I thought was synonymous with beauty so I'd written the word pretty and that's when I kind of thought yeah like that is a representation of the feminine side but I want it to be cool and I want it to be edgy and I'm you know I'm not the kind of girl that wears all head-to-toe pink i probably wear head to toe black. <laughs> I just want it to feel a bit gritty.
2: Yeah. And then you're and like then I
0: just was like, oh <laughs> sandwich those two together and that sounds pretty good. It
1: is. It's, it gives <laughs> such a such an edge to it that does sound a little bit less like floaty and girly. Yeah. And yeah. Of, yeah. Grunge.
0: And, I, and I also wanted it very much to have that same approach, which is my own personal mentality of like there's too much bullshit in the whole beauty world sometimes so that the name of the site also had to I think reflect that
1: yeah well it absolutely does it's yeah. such oh, good. a good one good thank you <laughs> so talking about the grittier side the mm. next segment is called nay to yay. so okay. it's all the stuff that kind of gets in the way of you living a life full of yay mm-hmm. like self-doubt like mm-hmm. um, planning your finances mm-hmm. like funding a business at the beginning Mm -hmm. that especially in tech where it's really, really a big outlay, you can't just kinda wing it at the start. What have been some of your biggest challenges along the way?
0: I mean, definitely cash flow. I think for any business, whether it's a large corporation, multi million billion dollar corporation, or it's the small startup and you're working in your living room and you've got boxes everywhere around you, at the end of the day it comes down to cash flow. Mm. And that is Probably been the greatest challenge because I'm a creative person, I'm <laughs> a writer <laughs> naturally, so mathematics and, and numbers have never come naturally to me. So, having to get around the mental shift around finance and around money is something that I had to get through. Uh, which my husband has really really helped me with he's amazing with that that sort of thing being a project manager and just understanding that you have to be aware of every dollar that comes in but also every dollar that goes out yeah Um, if you're not aware of that if you choose to be ignorant around that if you decide to just kind of put it in the background and you don't really want to think too much about how much you're spending Mm. or how much that's going to cost or how much that employee might cost your business will not grow yeah it's as simple as as that. So that has definitely been the challenge. It continues to be the challenge because we don't have investors um, completely independent. So that for me I think is the number one thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's ongoing I mean I almost think the bigger you get the bigger the problem gets because then the growth is bigger and then each time you do a new thing you need more capital to do that. Absolutely
0: the bigger you get the more you're spending. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah there's definitely that and then sometimes you're forced with that decision where you've got to spend money to make money Um, but I think having a really healthy relationship with your finances is what will help make any business grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah and back to the beginning when you were in Bali and you were kind of in that phase of not having started to build gritty pretty before you left, so mm-hmm. you didn't have you know a proof of concept, you didn't mm-hmm. have the knowledge that you could make the jump, and very quickly you'd already be there. How did you deal with the self doubt that naturally would come with that, and the fear and anxiety of can this work?
0: Um, I just think I, I felt it.
1: Yeah, you know, you just let it. Yeah, come. I,
0: I, I let it come, and I felt it when it would when it was settle in. Um, I would talk about it. Um, I'm very lucky that I have a beautiful marriage and um, one that is full of so much open communication. So if mm. I ever felt that I could talk to my husband honestly about it,
2: mm.
0: and he's kind of my soundboard in life, um, so I would talk to him about that, and that was so good, <laughs> <cute. laughs> and that would that would really help me because I think when you everyone has insecurities and everyone has self-doubt and everyone has weaknesses Mm. and it's very easy to let those things consume you. Um, But when you're surrounded by amazing people who see the best in you and see the positive in you, sometimes you just need them to kind of give you a good shake and, you know, make you realise that things aren't that bad and things are going to be okay. (laughs) You can't get too carried away with yourself. (laughs) So I would definitely feel that self-doubt, but then I've, equally at the same time, whilst I've had those moments of, oh my God, is it going to work? I have spent so much money on my business. Is it going to pay off? I've always at that same time had this feeling like this, it's almost like a fire in my gut that I know it will work. Yeah. And like I said, we're still not even where I want Gritty Pretty to be. I want Gritty Pretty to be the biggest beauty resource in the world that women can access. And I know it's going to get there. I can't explain how I know that. Yeah. I just know that. Yeah, So you've just kind of got to ride the self-doubt and come out the other end.
1: I think a really big thing, a message from that is that we're pretty impatient people. Like we, yes. we know if if you know, once
0: you realize what you want, you yeah. just want to get there. Yes, but it does. It takes time and it takes work. Yeah, you know yeah. that's one thing I think um, that you do so well with this podcast is showing people that these businesses don't just pop up overnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're probably like you know ten years to the. achieving success and someone's definition of success isn't necessarily someone else's but they happen because someone you know was working 24 hours Mm. a day for seven days a week for years on end Mm. Um, and I've done that time I have been awake till four in the morning sitting there writing content publishing content shooting content and I think it's important to acknowledge those moments too.
1: Yeah, I think burnout is another huge challenge when you do first go out. I mean, it's obviously a huge challenge in some careers, but then when you go out on your own, there's even less incentive to ever take a break or take a rest. So has that been hard for you? I mean, particularly yes. <laughs> particularly with an online publication, you're expected to be more connected than a print mm. publication that's not dynamic. Like, you get your, I mean, you get your issue out and that takes enormous hours, but then once it's out, mm. you're not expected to answer to every you know, communication, you're not accessible through Instagram. Mm. And, mm. and then you have your own personal profile, which is huge, which again is like putting yourself out there so people expect you to be available. Mm. How do you deal with that? being pulled in all directions I mean
0: it's definitely hard um that definitely happens when I get close to a deadline in time people probably notice my Instagram stories are just non-existent (laughs) because I don't have time I get up in the morning I start work at six and I might end around nine or, or ten so it is a constant juggle but I think life's a juggle and um I also think I have I have a really beautiful community of women who follow me personally on Instagram. They're like, a, they're such a, a beautiful following, and everyone's very supportive. I don't get trolled, and I think they understand that, that I have a job yeah. and, <laughs> uh, and I have a team to manage. So if I go a little quiet on the gram, that's okay. They know you're, They know I'm. You're doing the I'm content, creating you're doing some the stuff, magic for them, um, <laughs> and they never, yeah, never blame me for it. But it is a juggle. I think that's just life.
1: Do you think that you also get a lot of pressure from the expectation that comes with being someone who people look up to? And particularly in beauty, do you feel like, you know, your skin always has to be perfect or you aesthetically always have to present a particular way because of the nature of...?
0: No, no, I don't feel any pressure whatsoever. I think... That's awesome. Um, When it comes to style, I've always very much had a love of fashion. That's just been a natural part of my personality. Even when I was a teenager, I... Yeah. Oh my God. I remember I would buy like Subi jeans when I was 16 and they were like bright yellow or something. But so Um, fashion, but very fashion at the time. (laughs) So I've always had a love for fashion. So, you know, my, my, my style and how I dress every day for me, it's just a pleasure. So I yeah. don't feel pressure there. Um, in terms of beauty, no, I don't feel a pressure to have perfect skin all the time. I get it's
1: perfect, by the way. Oh. <laughs> she's glowing.
0: <laughs> um, I get breakouts like everyone else. Um, but also I have reactions to products, you know, when I'm testing products, oh, I might have a course. reaction. So that that can occur, but I don't feel pressure. That's cool. No, I have a very strong, now I do, I didn't before, not 10 years ago, but 10 years later, now that I'm 30, and I think there's something to be said when you turn 30. um, I have a very strong constitution and I am very comfortable in my skin.
1: I'm about to turn 30 and I think... Oh, it's the best. I feel like you're about to peak people say that your 30s are your best decade and I never would have thought that but I do feel like it's when you just get over all the hang-ups of your 20s Mm. and realize who you are Mm. and then you're fine with it you just settle in somewhat I think you
0: have less insecurities you care less what other people think but for for me anyway when I turned 30 I was like yes okay (laughs) I'm here yeah life starts now (laughs) (laughs) so day to day
1: what do you do to look after yourself Do you like Um, food and exercise and particularly beauty? I think people would love to know if there are any like daily
0: rituals or mm -hmm. must-have things that Mm -hmm. you use. Um, Well, I generally start every day with some cold water and beauty chef. Ah, yes. So love have, Carla. yes i love Carla. so i generally use the collagen elixir and i just have a shot of that in a glass of water it tastes amazing so i start my day with that i'll do some form of exercise whether it's a walk to the beach and i'll have a swim or i'll do some yoga or i'll do some reformer pilates they're the only real forms of exercise that i do because they're the other ones that i love yep <laughs> um, so i'll do a bit of that I just spend time with the people in my life that I really care about. Um, That's a huge part, I think, of maintaining happiness Mm. and then when it comes to my skin in particular I just love to nourish it so in the morning when I'm putting on my skincare and when I'm also taking my makeup off at night and putting it on again at night that for me is my me time and I really love to massage my skincare into my skin Mm. I love to use uh, products that are rich in hydrating ingredients because when your skin is hydrated you do have less wrinkles you have uh, less pigmentation your skin just looks and more plump and more luminous and dewy Um, so I love products that are rich in say like hyaluronic acid ferulic acid any form of say um, asorbic acid so I love to use products like that I love serums. Serums are amazing yeah. for good skin. I'm getting into them. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> yeah, start now. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm thirty. Yes. It's time. And um, eye cream. Yes, definitely, and definitely using eye cream. Um, so there's a few products that I love. I love Estee Lauder's Advanced Night Repair. It's just got a beautiful consistency that I like to put on in the morning as well as night because it doesn't disrupt your makeup. Um, I love the Ulla Henriksen Banana Bright Eye Cream. Yeah. That is so good, and I love the. Sadashi. At the moment, I'm using a Sadashi moisturizer. It's a completely natural, but it just feels and smells amazing. I love Sadashi. Me too. So she's good. She's amazing. Megan she just wrote Martin. a book. She, I've read it. Yeah. Oh, my God, i read it. <laughs> she said it to me the other day. I Incredible. can't wait. Her book is so good. She's someone I really aspire to be like because I think she's such a – such an innovative woman and pioneer in the beauty space but Mm. she is so kind she's the nicest person you've ever met
2: um
0: and she talks a lot she's very empathetic and i think we need more female leaders in in the industry and in in australia in general Mm. who show that you can be um you can be soft and kind but you can also be a really strong leader at the same time
1: yeah and that's a really hard balance
0: for women very hard yeah yeah
1: do you find that, like, what, where does Gritty Pretty sit with the balance between natural products mm-hmm. or ones that have a lot of chemicals and then animal testing? Mm. Like, how, how it's does a good all question.
0: that? Yeah. So, again, I think I had touched on it before. We have to remove our bias. Yeah. This isn't about what Eleanor Pendleton loves personally on her skin. Yeah. This is about what sort of products our reader, Jane, is interested in. Yeah. Some of our readers prefer completely natural, organic, certified organic products. Some of our readers are very happy using products that are non-natural, non-organic. And it's very important that we cater to all women. I would never want to create content that only targets a certain sector. Because then I've just discriminated against everyone else.
2: Um,
0: So for us, it's about making sure we're catering to everyone Mm -hmm. and we're informing them of, yes, of course, the ingredients behind products. Um, If there are sustainability factors, we'll educate them on that. But it's very important that, you know, we are not just an all natural skincare you know, beauty destination. Yeah. You're not being by niche. Any means. Yeah. Yeah. By any means, because at the end of the day, we have to cater to, to all women. Yeah. And for, and every woman is different.
1: Is that the same with, um, animal testing and things it, like yeah, that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the reality is, is, you know, while, while on a personal level, you yeah, know, obviously I, it's not something that I, I would endorse, but, um, for some women, it may not be something that they are faced by. And do you find that it's easy to keep that between eleanor pendleton as a
1: personality and what mm. you use and mm-hmm. then what gritty pretty does or do people kind of judge you on the same thing?
0: um yeah i think sometimes they may entwine the two um but i'm always very um i'm very open always happy to have those conversations with people yeah um you know, we do get asked every now and then someone will say can you yeah write a story on, on cruelty free makeup and i'll say to them yep schedule it for next week for you but yeah it it is it's about finding that juggle and that balance because we just have to remove our own bias at the end of the day yeah we have to make sure we're catering to everyone yeah it's good i think
1: if as long as you're clear on what you're trying to do Mm. then that's all that matters Mm. if you're trying to be a natural beauty site then Be that. If you're trying to be cruelty-free, then be that. But if you're not trying to, then Mm. you don't need to be Mm. that. Like I think it's easy to become a chameleon because Mm. you just want to please everyone, but Mm. you can't do that really. So the last segment is called Play And it's my favourite because it's the one where we talk about the fact that we're so much defining ourselves all the time by our output and what we do and what we achieve and Mm -hmm. our jobs and being a boss girl like all that kind of stuff but it's too often separated from what just brings us pure joy Mm. and Then the problem is that because sometimes we do get joy from our work, we don't find an identity outside of that. Mm -hmm. We just don't even cultivate those kind of activities. And I found that for the first three years of our business, I didn't do anything that wasn't work-related. And with lifestyle, health and beauty websites, it does intertwine all the areas of your life anyway. So Mm. it can be so easy to just lose yourself. So what do you do to look after Eleanor outside of beauty. Like mm. what makes you happy that's not related to work and do you do any random activities that have nothing to do with learning
0: or growing or networking? Do you leave time for those things? I think, I think it's um, the things that I, I, de- I definitely make time for that. I've always been very aware that it's important um, to look after myself and and I might not always do it. Sometimes, you know, things can creep up or you've got this ginormous project that takes over your life for a couple of months. So, you know, the the balance is definitely um, not always there. But I think it's all those things, like I said before, that I don't put on social. Yeah. That's what keeps me... Happy. When I, like, for example, today, my husband and I are driving up to Terrigal where his family is. We're going to go see our niece and nephew. You're not going to see that on Instagram. Yeah. Because that's going to be our family time. Yeah. Um, when I'm having dinner with my best friend or um, I'm, I'm doing a yoga class or I'm meditating, I'm not going to document that. Yeah. That's my me time. Yeah. Um, I think all those little moments are what help you stay really grounded. The ocean is a big part of my life. Mm. Um, I grew up on the beach. I grew up on an island on the central <laughs> coast. And my husband is a surfer. And for us, going to the beach every single day keeps us grounded. Yeah. So I think they're the things that help me maintain that balance. And that's just the Eleanor time. Yeah. Do you
1: read or do puzzles? Yes. Yeah, I Netflix? always read
0: yeah, Netflix. Um, I don't really watch TV. I might watch Netflix. Um, I read and I listen to a lot of podcasts. Oh, podcast girl. Yeah, because I've got to commute. Because I drive, you know, about an hour sometimes to work every day. I just love podcasts. Yeah, they're so good, aren't I they? Love, I love – they're <laughs> so good. What are you listening you, to at the moment? Um, I just listen to a Ladyland one with Alison Rice. Oh, yeah, I love Ladyland. Um, Those girls are amazing. And obviously, yeah, my friend Alison has, has a podcast, which I love. Is anything that has an interview I, I generally listen to because yeah. I feel you can learn from people's experiences.
1: Totally. That's yeah. what I love so much about this is even if no one listened, I would be learning so much just from talking to people about stuff. Yeah. That, particularly this last question because that's the stuff that isn't on social media, mm. who they are outside of their job or their their vocation is always like, wow, you're so interesting. Yeah,
0: I think that's, it's good that we're talking about this now. I think there's a lot of conversation around – that part of people and and the other side of social media because we're all people, we're all Mm. humans. We all have that side of us. Mm. Um, Equally, at the same time, we all have our shit going on. A lot of people, you know, might have a family member who's sick and that's something that happens behind Instagram's screens yeah um, and you're not
1: going to go into hospital and be like
0: selfie yeah. oh my god <laughs> yeah definitely not going to do that so I think there's that side to remember that everyone kind of has their stuff going on yeah it's important to remember that yeah and I get too caught up in there totally
1: the and I also think that because we kind of put people who are well-known on a pedestal mm. and then only see the curated perfect side of their life, it becomes like you just get so confused about the fact that you're like, are you human? Like, mm. do, but And I love breaking that down on these shows because mm. – people always write and give such feedback on like how great it was to learn about the human side of people. They've never, never heard them talk about yeah. stuff just in such a chilled out way or talk yeah. about what Netflix shows they watch when they have food poisoning or like whatever, you know, it's so, so nice. That's very true, yeah. So you and Matt sound like you have a really, really strong it actually seem really similar to Nick and I so you've been together for nine years we're nearly 10 yeah um you got married you're, you're about quite to get late. Married. yep <laughs> you just got married um and you guys have very different skill sets that complement each other which we're very similar like that mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about the relationship so that obviously seems like something that keeps you very grounded as well yeah.
0: how did you meet good oh vibes gosh. oh my gosh. good vibes 2009 I can't believe you found that out <laughs>
1: I do my research.
0: (laughs) So, yes, we'll probably tell our kids that we just like met the old fashioned way. But actually, we met at Good Vibes Music Festival, which is hilarious. I love that you were Um, there. Oh, my God. Um, How would I describe him and our marriage? Um, I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's just it's it's us you know it's just our relationship and it's one that I feel for me personally it's one that I feel safest in it's one that I feel completely myself in mm. I don't feel I have to
2: put be someone be
0: someone else or put on a face or have to you know have my wall up I I when I'm with Matt my walls are completely down and I'm just at my raw self with him mm. we ha- have a very um, open communication with each other and we've always talked about things and you know if there's ever d- disagreements or anything's bothering anyone we have no qualms in sitting down and talking about that yeah and I think that removes you know it removes that you can't misinterpret anything or you kind of can't be worrying about, oh, do they feel this way? But I feel this yeah, way. Yeah, there's it's, no,
1: like, double guessing yeah, and, like, there's all none that, of that. that crap. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, none of that. Um, no games. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. no games. Um, yeah. Do you guys have kids on the horizon? Uh, we would love to. Yeah. yeah. I think when the time is right, we're both very family people. We're yeah. really active in our families. Like I said, we've got a niece and nephew, and um, we love, love, love them. Um, so, yeah, I think when the time is right, we'll definitely have kids if we can. Do you guys take holidays together? Like do you with get to families? travel? Oh,
1: no, just with each other, like any oh, yeah. big travellers yeah, yeah, yeah. or we're, your homebodies? Or? No,
0: we're definitely travellers. Um, we kind of just have a balance of things. I travel a lot for work, so I do a lot of solo travel. Yeah. But Matt also loves travel. Um, so, yeah, we t- we take a lot of trips together and um, we have a lot of travel coming, coming up over the next six months. We have about five weddings in <laughs> seven weeks.
1: We're at that um, I'm going broke from weddings and baby showers. I hear you.
0: I hear you. But yeah, we definitely love to travel. That's a huge passion of ours, just seeing the world.
1: Yeah. So, second last question is another one of my favourite ones because you always find out really cool things. Is tell me three interesting things about you that don't usually come up in these conversations.
0: Mm, Oh, that's hard.
1: I know. It's always the weird things like, I don't know.
0: That you love tuna or something,
1: you know all those weird oh, like allergies okay. or like I, I don't have know, fears no or phobias.
0: I have no allergies. Um, I oh, three things that people, I did competitive sailing when I was a little. Wow! Girl. wow. So I I did a <laughs> lot of sports when I was growing up. I was definitely more of a tomboy um, than a girly girl. And my grandfather, who bless, at the age of ninety, is still with us. Wow! Um, he built me a small yacht
1: oh my god with his bare hands
0: um, which as is, you do as yeah. you do um, so he built um, me a boat and I did it was a little Sabbath boat um, which is kind of like a small laser for anyone who, who knows what sailing <laughs> is um, and I did that competitively with my sister we were yeah we I don't know it was just something we got into what else I'm trying to think I learned piano when I was a little kid oh, yeah. Oh, yeah and I don't know. I can't
1: think of a third one. People always find it really hard. Do you love, do you have like a weird, do you collect anything? No. No no stamps or coins? No stamps, <laughs> nothing like that. I'm not a hoarder. Any party tricks? Mm,
0: no. Generally, <laughs> my husband's the person who's doing some trick at a party. Do right? you have a middle name? Marie.
1: Oh, there you go. There's number three. There you go. <laughs> and finally, since I love motivational quotes so much, what is your favorite quote?
0: Oh, that's easy. Uh, my favorite quote is from an American author um, and literist. Uh, his name is Gore Vidal.
2: Oh.
0: And the quote is Star is about knowing who you are, what you want to say, and not giving a damn. Oh, that is amazing. It's been one of my favourites for many, many years and I often go back to it and it leaves me feeling so empowered and just remembering that, you know, you've just got to – ride your own journey and and take your own path in life and not worry about others. Absolutely. What a great finish. Thank
1: you so, so much for joining us and for having me. I'll include links, of course, to Gritty Pretty and Eleanor's personal page and any other interesting little tidbits that you think we should leave for your readers and our listeners. Thank you guys so much for joining and I hope you're seizing your yay. I love how different everyone's stories have been so far and seeing how finding your yay is just so personal. I can't imagine knowing what I wanted to do so young and I'm so inspired to see Eleanor's drive, motivation and groundedness. We got a few wedding tips too as she got married last year, which was so exciting. We booked our date recently and have just started looking, which has been such an amazing process. And I will, of course, include links to how you can check out Gritty Pretty if you haven't already, which I'm sure most of you actually have, and how you can follow Eleanor personally as she is just such a wonderful human being. If you haven't subscribed already to Seize the Yay, please do to get new episodes as soon as they come out. And if you're enjoying what you hear, I would be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review so we can help spread the yay way far and wide. I hope you're having a fabulous week and are seizing your yay.